Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church, where we learn and grow together in Christ. We now join the church in worship. I want to take this opportunity to welcome you to Boiling Springs Baptist Church this morning. It is an honor and a privilege to be in the house of God, to worship a loving and merciful God. And what a great God He is. Amen. Look out this morning, and I see a, a lot of new faces, some guests, and we're glad you're with us today. I want to invite everyone, though, Bowling Springs family included, to pull off the tab on the side of your bulletin. Good, I hear it happening. I want to invite those of you who may be with us for the first time this morning to look on the side that says welcome, and we want to get to know you, so we're going to invite you to fill that welcome slip out. If you just fold that up and put that in the offering plate as it comes by during our offering time, we want to get to know you, and we want to maybe set up a time for you to get to know us. So uh, fill that out as you will, and on the back side of that for everyone is a prayer request form, and if there's a way that we can be praying for you or praying for a friend or family or neighbor, please fill that out and drop that off in the offering plate as well so that we can pray with you. would also invite you, if there is a care need for our care ministry, you can use that uh, slip to do that with, or there should be a slip of paper in front of you that you can use for our care ministry. We need to uh, continue to feed them opportunities to share encouragement and uh, make phone calls, so please do that as well. Take your bulletin. Let's look at that want to uh, draw attention to the beautiful flower arrangement that is here this morning, and you'll see um, the reason for that in your bulletin. You'll also see that we have a guest with us this morning, uh, Peter Sumner, and we are glad that he is here, and you'll hear more about him as the morning goes on. Uh, I want to invite you to our final spiritual growth session this evening in the Lighthouse Room. Tonight we will be wrapping up our discussion on um, hospitality and discussion as far as spiritual growth goes. We also will be having some sermon, a continued sermon series in the next few weeks as we continue the conversation. But tonight we're going to be breaking up into some small groups and talking about how we can um, be, be better at hospitality and some new ideas. So please come tonight prepared to discuss that and bring some ideas to our small group time. On the back are the opportunities for the week. So I want to include a couple of things, or one thing I know that, that didn't get in there. Um, our ushers and greeters, uh, ushers and the Welcome and Hospitality Committee will be meeting tonight at 615 in the Lighthouse Room following our spiritual growth time. So if you are, are an usher or you serve on the Welcome and Hospitality Committee, please be here this evening for that meeting. Also, uh, Thursday evening, this past Thursday evening, we had the beginning of a, a Bible study class at Paula Hamrick's house, and we want to invite anyone who wants to be a part of that. They will continue to meet through the end of September. So uh, that'll happen on Thursday evenings at 6.30 at her home, and if you'd like to be a part of that, please um, do so. All right. Well, we're going to continue this morning in our, um, in our worship, and I'm going to recognize Dr. Bob Lamb as he introduces our special guest today. I hear we have some visitors today. I'm looking around. The trouble with sitting to toward the front is you don't get to sit in the choir and look for visitors. So if you're a visitor today, it's my special uh, opportunity to introduce a visitor on the platform. Um, but I'll be talking about uh, some of the connections we already have with him and his country and uh, so I don't want you visitors to feel left out. 
We're very happy to welcome a visitor from Cape Town, South Africa, who works with the Cape Town Baptist Seminary, where our friend Bonnie Dowdy teaches as part of her mission work. <clears throat> now, how many of you know Bonnie Dowdy? Oh, that's a lot of folks. But those of you who didn't raise your hand, she was our minister of uh, um, youth and then education and uh, now is a missionary in Cape Town and teaches in this seminary that our man today is going to be talking about. So I don't want you all to feel left out. We're proud of Bonnie and her work and are always looking forward to when she comes back home for a visit. Peter Sumner was born in England, but has lived most of his life in South Africa, where he was a banker. Now that he's retired, he works with the Cape Town Baptist Seminary Foundation to help raise money to support the seminary. So if you help him support the seminary, you are indirectly even helping Bonnie in her work because part of her work is teaching there. Now, what always fascinates me about South Africa is how much the folks who live there know about us here in the States. And Peter has lots of interests, including music and sports and wildlife, but he likes banjo music. So even though he is from 7,000 miles in that direction, one of the things he's going to do while he is here today is to go over to the Earl Scrubs Museum in Shelby this afternoon and visit that museum and learn about a man born a mile down the road. Now, Peter is a tour guide in South Africa now that he's retired. And isn't it nice that we have someone famous who lived here that we can share with him while he's here? Peter, we're happy to welcome you today and appreciate your friend Henry Funderburg. Henry, stand up. They might not see you otherwise. Thank you. <clears throat> now, Peter may look just like the driver, but he's also got a PhD and helped set up the undergraduate education program at Wingate. And we'll still forgive him for being a Wingate man and welcome him to Boiling Springs, the home of Garden Web. So, Peter, we are delighted to have you here today. Thank you very much, Bob, for that uh, very warm welcome and uh, the introduction that makes me think, who's that guy that's going to speak? <laughs> Although it was nice, it, it didn't do anything for me. But when I listened to Scruggs and Flat, wow, it came alive. And ever since then, I've been a fan of all Scruggs and banjo music. And I have uh, an instrument which I bought in Nashville last time I was here in uh, 2013. It's called the Gitanjo. 
Uh, it looks like a banjo, but it's got six strings and you play it like a guitar. And I'm trying to get a hold of that, uh, get my hands around that when I'm at home. But anyway, enough of the, that. Um, I'm here to represent the Cape Town Baptist Seminary, and it's a privilege to be here this morning. I'd just like to thank my, uh, my driver, Henry van der Berg. He's got a PhD in driving. <laughs> and it's been a, a privilege to be here and to, to stay with Henry this last week or so, and I'm halfway, I'm halfway through my stay. But I come from the beautiful city of Cape Town, which is on the southern, uh, almost on the southern tip of Africa, uh, in the country of South Africa. And it is one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been to, not because I'm, I live there and I'm biased, but it is because uh, we have some lovely mountain scenery and white sandy beaches, and it is referred to as the mother city of South Africa because that's where the settlers arrived initially, in fact, they didn't want to settle. They just wanted to have a halfway station from the Indies to Europe because the sailors used to die from scurvy and all they wanted to do was plant a garden. So the Dutch went there just to do a bit of gardening and plant a vegetable garden. But the seminary is now in its 42nd year of existence and it was recently named one of the top three Baptist seminaries in Africa. And I've been privileged to serve on the foundation for the last 17 years. And the foundation is tasked with promoting the seminary and for its financial viability so that the academic guys can get on with doing the job of teaching pastors. But the seminary offers short courses, degrees, postgraduate qualifications, including doctorates. And teaching at the seminary involves mainly three things. Baptists always have three points, don't they? First of all, training the head to make sure that the guys get the knowledge that they need to be pastors, guys and ladies. Um, secondly, to train the heart. In other words, to make sure that they have the right heart for being a pastor and that they are well and truly saved and that they have a, a fervor. And thirdly, training the hands. In their third and fourth year, they get out and do some practical work uh, and, it could, and that could be um, going to a church and understudying the pastor for a couple of weeks. Or, in fact, I think it's longer than a couple of weeks. It's about a month. So they really get uh, put through the mill on all scores. In the past 41 years, uh, of the more than 1,000 graduates um, who are mainly from Africa, most are still serving the Lord either in pastoral ministry or as missionaries or in Christian education. The Cape province of South Africa has a different culture from the rest of the country. And just as New Orleans or uh, uh, Florida, Miami have different cultures from the rest of U the USA um, because of uh, the historical makeup. Um, but historically, Cape Town was populated mainly by the descendants of European settlers and the settlers of fr uh, freed slaves of mixed race and I believe that the word I'm going to use might be offensive to you, but it's not to us. They are called colored people because they're not black and they're not white. Um, that's the name that they've chosen. And many of them are Muslim with an influx of African... Uh, many of them are Muslim, and we've had an influx of African people, the tribal African people, in the last 50 years. So Cape Town has also has the highest concentration of Muslims in South Africa. 
but there are also many Baptist churches. Although the majority of Muslims are not militant, one sees many free Palestine bumper stickers. Uh, there is a battle going on for the hearts and minds of the people in the Cape, and the harvest fields are ripe, but the workers are few. Many of the 120-strong student body at the seminary comes from the Cape Town area, and many graduates are called to churches there. Last year, the seminary embarked on what is called the Pulse Program, which offers free basic theological education uh, to churches and to the lay people in churches, uh, and eight churches so far have signed up. And this is being done in order to channel anybody who feels called and who has now got a thirst for knowledge uh, and wants to learn more into more formal courses offered by the seminary. One of the very near future extensions of Pulse is called e-learning, where we're going to be embarking on using computerization to, ena to enable students who can't attend the seminary because of distance to be able to link up with their computer and to do the studying um, whenever they want to and link up with lecturers in Cape Town. But this is costly, and we're thankful to the Lord that he provides the majority of funds from our own country. But with financial partnerships, we could achieve more. And we're grateful, to, uh, especially for our partnerships with uh, yourselves and the Union Baptist Association for our relationships. And I'd like to... Um, mention uh, Dr. Dennis Burton of the UBA who has been to Cape Town many times and he's just announced his, announced his retirement and I get a sneaking suspicion that he's bought a condo in Cape Town. Uh, and, and our dear friend Henry van der Berg uh, who has been a number of times as well. But there are three major areas that we're looking for partnerships. Number one is the Pulse program, particularly the e-learning phase which will require considerable capital, but we consider essential in order for the seminary to move forward. Number two is scholarships for needy potential students who tick all the academic and spiritual boxes but don't have the means, and meeting our annual budget, which uh, we do pretty much 95%. But I've got, free, I've got some brief requests for you this morning, and unfortunately it's not three, it's five. Number one. Please pray for the seminary. We need your prayers. Number two, peruse our website. If you have a computer and uh, get on internet, please look up our website. It's www.ctbs, that's just the initials of Cape Town Baptist Seminary, .org, and after that we put a ZA. So it's www.ctbs.org.za for Zaid Africa. Number three, promote us on Facebook. If you don't know what Facebook is, ask your grandchildren. <laughs> Please like our page. It's just called plain, simply Cape Town Baptist Seminary, and you can see what's happening currently. Uh, the website gets updated from time to time, and we've had a, bit, a few issues of that, so it might not be 100% up to date, but all the latest news goes on our Facebook pages, and you can see photographs uh, and that would be wonderful. Number four, partner with us. Um, we have an arrangement by which the, uh, Uni the Union Baptist Association sends any donations that come through to us, and we can tell you how to contact them uh, in order to uh, send any donations. Uh, 
For the price of dining out once a month of $25, if you convert that into South African currency, it is meaningful and makes inroads into the budget or the e-learning capital. And for $2,000 a year for four years, that is all it would cost for a scholarship to turn a needy, student, needy potential student into a pastor equipped to win people for Jesus. And we would gladly name the scholarship after the donor. Number five, this might appeal to you, pay us a visit. If you're looking for a vacation destination, that really rolls well off the tongue, a eh? vacation destination. We call it holiday, but I prefer vacation destination. Uh, Cape Town is a very desirable place to come. If you're sick and tired of Disneyland or wherever you go, uh, I don't see how you could be tired of the Outer Banks because I've just been there with Henry and what a wonderful place. I've so enjoyed it. But Cape Town has got its iconic Table Mountain, which is one of the seven natural wonders of the world. And it's a city in a basin with mountains all around it, except for the front where the sea is. Um, we also have uh, white beaches, and uh, we're in a floral kingdom, which is uh, very beautiful. And at the moment, uh, it's not quite yet spring there, but the spring flowers that proliferate the, the fields are starting to bloom. We also have long, uh, dry summers and cold, wet winters, so winter's not the time to come, and many other attractions. But also, in Cape Town is the Cape Town Baptist Seminary, and we'd love you to come along and see how the money is stewarded. Come and sit in a lecture, and I, as has been mentioned before, I am a registered tour guide, and I would love to be your host if you want to see a friendly face. We are passionate about winning the lost for Jesus and would love you to be part of our team. Thank you. Please turn to hymn number 213, We Will Glorify. We stand and sing our first hymn of praise, number 213, We Will Glorify.
all, I love to say that, do you all know where Africa is? <laughs> do all you all know where Africa is? Well, if you go from the United States and you travel towards New York, you keep going. And when you hit Europe, you turn south. That's downwards on the map. And you keep going until there's no more land. Then you stop and you turn around, and that's where I live. And South Africa is well known for its wildlife. I'm sure you've heard of uh, a little incident in Zimbabwe that caused a bit of a furore uh, a couple of weeks ago. But most of the people in South Africa are very passionate about the wildlife. And so am I. And I go to one of our national parks, which is just as it was before anybody arrived in Africa. It's just been fenced off and the animals do the thing as they've been doing for centuries. And I'm lucky because the head guide there is a friend of mine. And so he takes us on walks. You don't drive in the car like you normally do. He takes you on a walk. And he's got a rifle with him. Because there are some animals there who might want to eat you. Like lions and leopards and cheetahs. So if you go on a walk, and the reason you go on a walk is to get your feet on the ground and to see all of the little things that you might miss uh, when you're in the car. But my friend, uh, you have to have two guys with a rifle. So I went with my wife and my son and his wife, and the four of us went on a walk with my friend and the, the other guy who they call the second rifle. Now the reason for that is that when the guide is explaining things to you, he might be looking on the ground. The second rifle walks 10 yards away. I believe that's 30 feet in America. And he just looks around and sees if he can see anything. Well, one day, one, one time this guide was explaining something to us and his second rifle gave him a wave. And he said, lions. Lions. And we're on foot. Okay. So now I'm going to ask the children, if you see lions, what do you do? You run. You are dead meat. Because who runs from lions? The things they eat. So if you run from a lion... He'll think, ha, ah, I must eat that. And I'll tell you something. If one of you want to run up and down there, I'll tell you how far you'll get before a lion gets you. You won't make it to the third pew. And he's on you. So the guide said to the four of us, whatever you do, don't run. And everything in your being is telling you to run. But he says, don't run. And he tells you exactly why, because that's what I've just said. Their prey runs. He said, stand together and look big. <laughs> now, that's not a problem for me. So, and my, and my son is six foot four. That's not a problem for him either. And we walked up to about, from here to the back of the church, away from the lions. And then they saw us. And they took one look at us. And they thought, whoa, what ugly humans. We're, we're out of here. And they started walking off. And we tracked them up the riverbed for a little way, and they were just interested in getting away. 
Now, if you go out at night, that's when they feed, it might be a different story. But we were told by the guide, whatever you do, don't run. And now, isn't it the same in life? You come across things that maybe scare you, and you want to run. But isn't it better to listen to what the guide says? Don't run. I'm here to protect you. I have a rifle. I'm here to protect you. Don't run. Listen to what I say. And isn't that exactly what we need to do with Jesus? Jesus is our guide from life, guide through life. Let's listen to him and don't run. Our next hymn is hymn number 221. As you turn to this hymn, um, think about the message of this. It goes along with, um, <clears throat> with what Mr. Sumner was talking about, the way that we see God at work in nature. And seeing the beauty all around us reminds us to praise God every day. So please stand as we sing him, the first two verses of When Morning Gills the Skies. Once again, I would like to, again, send in uh, a word of welcome to everyone this morning, and especially our guest. If you're new in the area, maybe you're moving into the area of Bowling Springs, again, we extend to you that very special welcome. For those of who have been participating and maybe those who haven't been, again, I want to invite you before I pray to our time of, of spiritual growth session this afternoon at 5 o'clock in the Lighthouse Room, which is a large room on that side of our campus. We would like to invite you to a great time of discussion as we continue and conclude, really, this discussion on hospitality as far as in the spiritual growth session. We will continue that discussion as a church, as a whole, but invite you to that special time. And then, again, we will be meeting with our greeters and ushers following that time. If you have not been attending on Wednesday nights, I want to encourage you and invite you and extend to you that invitation to join us at 645 in that same room uh, for a time of prayer and time of Bible study. Before I pray this morning, I would like to mention... Um, uh, Sybil Beeson, who many of you know, is in the hospital in Shelby. We want to pray for her this morning. But we also received word this morning, uh, and I had spoken with Lynn Surratt, but his sister has passed away. I believe her name is Wanda, and she is in Wilmington. But we want to remember him this morning. But he went home to attend to some phone calls and things that, that he needed to uh, 
to do. And so I'm imagining that he will be on the road uh, later today, uh, if not today, very soon to Wilmington. So let's be in prayer for him as he grieves the sudden loss of his sister and let him know that we are thinking of him at this time. Will you join me this morning in prayer? Father, we are reminded this morning that you are God and that we are man. Father, it is you that we look to this morning for hope. It's you this morning that we look to for forgiveness. It's you this morning that we look to for direction, for protection from the lions. It may not be the physical lions for us, but it may be these other things that war and, and uh, clamor for our attention. And so, Father, uh, today we give you our hearts. We give you our minds. And, Father, we ask that you would meet us right where we are this day. Uh, Father, the only way we can come to you is as we are. And so, Lord, that is how we come. Father, we pray that you would speak to our minds this morning. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. That, Lord, when we leave, we'll know that we have been in your presence. Lord, we will be empowered. And, Lord, we will be equipped to be the people that you have called us to be. Father, we pray for Lynn this morning as he grieves the loss of his sister. And we pray that you would comfort him and that you would be that good shepherd. We pray for safety as he travels this week. We pray for Sybil Beeson, that you would uh, be with her. May she feel loved, and may she feel your presence uh, and the love of this congregation at this time. We pray for healing in her body. We pray for others who are on our prayer list that need a word of healing, uh, that need some encouragement, maybe relationally. For those who have children or grandchildren that they are in special need this morning, we pray that, Lord, you would meet them at the point of their need. We're thankful for one who has come today from South Africa to share not only a word about this wonderful seminary, but a word of testimony, Lord, about his life and, and a word on hospitality there in South Africa as well. We pray for your blessings upon Peter for his remainder of his time here in the States and, Lord, for Henry as well as he continues to uh, be that guide uh, for Peter as he is here in the States. We're, we're thankful for this church. We're thankful for this community. Lord, teach us more about what it means to follow you and to live for you and to share your love with others. We ask this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For our next hymn, you'll need the words in your bulletin. Um, I hope that this will be familiar to you. Dr. Edder introduced this hymn, this new hymn to us, and we sang it with him a few times. And um, so I hope that you'll remember it from that. Please stand as we sing ancient words.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, we give you thanks for the day. We give you thanks to be here this morning to hear your word. Ask your blessings upon Peter and, and the folks that's with him this morning as, as he delivers his message to us this morning. Lord, we come now to time for our offerings and, and our tithes. I ask you to bless them and spread them across the world. In Jesus' name, amen. The scriptures are full of reminders to us to praise God. One such reminder is in Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. The choir anthem this morning is Praise You, and it's a reminder, we hope, um, for us to think about the ways that not just our words praise God, but our lives can be praised to him. Thank you. 
thank you very much, choir, for that lovely anthem, and I got to hear it before anybody else. <laughs> it's a privilege for me to be here today amongst you, and I'd like to thank your Pastor Keith and Dr. Bob Lamb for their invitation. I just hope that I can do justice to the theme that you have of hospitality. As you've probably gathered, I'm not a qualified preacher, I'm a fundraiser. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to do two readings, which you've probably had every week so far. Um, let's start off with 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Then we go to Hebrews 13, verse 2. We might as well start at verse 1. Never cease, sorry, never cease to love your fellow Christians. Do not neglect to show hospitality. By doing this, some have entertained angels unawares. I'd like to first of all, I've got an English college professor with me. I would first of all like to thank the people who've shown me hospitality. The very first person who showed me hospitality in the U.S. was a lady who lives in Boiling Springs, who works at the um, Earl Scruggs Museum. And it was that very first day that I was here that I learned to enjoy southern hospitality. I was introduced to cornbread. <laughs> that was nice. Uh, crumbed okra. Very nice. Pumpkin pie. Also very nice. And grits. <laughs> we have a, well, I'll tell you about that later. We have something called a pup at home, which is similar to grits. And, of course, uh, cold sweet tea. Now, I have a problem with sugar, so I tried to get mine without sugar, but uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. <laughs> so that was my first uh, taste of hospitality here, southern hospitality, and I really... I had a jaundiced view of Americans before I came here, and I had to repeal that and repent because I found nothing but genuine, friendly, hospitable, generous people here. You boy, you guys need to do something about your television with the lies. Or maybe that's how they are in the West Coast and the East Coast, I don't know. And I was pleased to see that some of you are even married. But as far as hospitality goes, for this trip, I'd really like to thank my host, Dr. Henry van der Berg. Henry, you've pulled out all stops, and I have had such a blast. It's been wonderful. I learned about the Outer Banks when I was here last, and I hinted something about it, and Henry took me up on it, and, that's, and I'm here, and we've done it this week, and I am not sorry. We had the most amazing time in the Outer Banks. So, Henry, I'd like to thank you publicly for your hospitality. I really have appreciated it. Right, now let's get to Africa. I'm sure you're all waiting to hear what happens in Africa. Now, if you were to visit Tanzania, which is nowhere near South Africa, um, it's like asking somebody in America, oh, in, in Boiling Springs, you know, do you know somebody in Hawaii? Well, that's about the relevance. But I've never been to Tanzania, but I've uh, found out that they have a, an interesting type of hospitality there. And... When you go to somebody's house, you can't really refuse what they offer you. So I'm just telling you, beware, don't go to Tanzania. <laughs> because if you're the honored guest, the Maasai people will take a cow 
and rupture this vein in its neck, draw some blood, plug up the vein, mix it with milk, and you as the honoured guest get first go. And you cannot refuse. So that's not where I come from, so, <laughs> and, and I have no desire to go. <laughs> but then to bring it closer to home, we have in South Africa a number of different cultures, and slowly they are assimilating, um, but some of them are very diverse, and it'll take quite a while. I'm sure you've all heard of the Zulu tribe. Have you? Okay. Uh, the Zulu tribe in, in the past has been um, a very warlike tribe, and they've conquered others, uh, and they are known for their discipline. But if you went to have uh, a meal with a Zulu, they would probably give you something like izibedi, which is a type of fermented porridge. Or, if you're lucky, if you're a Baptist, they might give you unfermented porridge called, called putu. But then, of course, they, have, they make mixtures which we would call beer. It's just a, a drink. Um, and it's called amehewu, which is uh, non-intoxicating, and utuwala, which is uh, quite intoxicating. And um, the interesting thing about that is that they don't refine it. You get all the bits floating in it as well, so you, it's, not, it's a bit more like a, like a broth. Uh, and then if they really bring out the... the the, um, the heavy stuff, it's called uh, skokian, and you can't, you can't stand up after that, I believe. <laughs> but then, something to eat. Uh, they would uh, use some spicy relish called chakalaka, and they would put that on maize or tubers, um, and cabbage and pumpkin or tomato, and they would also create a similar process to yogurt called amazi, where they drain milk off and they keep the, um, the curds of milk and you would be given that as well. But the vegetable relish on the, uh, the chakalaka, chakalaka on the uh, vegetables would be mixed with beef. But you as a guest um, would probably eat with the men because there they, they still segregate hierarchies, etc., and when they slaughter an ox, the men get the best parts, like the head and the liver, because the liver is the seat of bravery, and you get the right front leg. And the boys would eat, get the lower legs and the feet, and women, I'm afraid, you'd have to put up with tripe and ribs. And another tribe that we have close to home that is moved southwards into the Cape is called the Tosa. That's spelled X-H-O-S-A, and you do a click for every X. Uh, I find their language very difficult to understand because they have a surfeit of consonants and hardly any vowels. But anyway, if you went to uh, a Tosa household, you would, they would probably offer you isopi, which is a kind of a soup made from corn and beans and peas. Uh, then... Uh, something which is a, like a risotto served with a meat stew called umtoshuzu. Yeah. And that is made with something, uh, or it, 
Yes, it's served with meat and stewed like risotto. It's made with millipup, which is like your grits. And uh, you, they would wash it down with umkomboti, which is a beer made from corn and sorghum and grain. Now we have another culture in Southern Africa. Uh, historically, the Dutch uh, started the garden. And then you had wars in Europe and the British took it over. And then after the war was settled, they gave it back to the Dutch. And then they took it over again. And eventually, uh, some of the Dutch settlers didn't like it there under British rule, so they moved inland. I would imagine you've got a similar situation, although it maybe wasn't because of nationality here when your settlers moved west. By the way, can you tell me why, why do you say out west and back east? Does America face west? And the Dutch uh, also have their own traditions. So if you were welcomed by a Dutch family, uh, you would, uh, first of all, they would cook their food in the garden on a fire, generally. And we, we now call that a bryflace, which means cook meat. And they make the most interesting and wonderful sausages about this long. And you can buy it in any length you like, put it on the fire, and when it's finished, you cut it up into pieces and serve it like that. And of course, they also have the millipup, which is like your grits. Um, but they also do a relish of onion and tomato, which is really nice. And in the last few years, or well, last couple of decades, uh, they started cooking in big iron pots as well. And this is, everybody has their own recipe, and of course it's better than his neighbors. But what essentially happens there is you put the pot onto the fire, and you keep adding uh, uh, coals to the fire, burning wood to the fire, and you'd put the pot on and you'd start to brown onions, and put meat in, and various spices, uh, vegetables, potatoes, sweet potatoes, carrots, and on top you would probably put some mushrooms and let it cook for a while, and then when you're nearly ready to serve, oh, and of course you'd put some maybe red or white wine in or some uh, fruit juice, and at the end of the, when it's close to being served, uh, the ladies would cook some rice, uh, or even you might even put the rice in, and then you would stir it for the first time, because everything would cook in layers, and then they would dish it up. And boy, my mouth's starting to water now at the thought of it. It's really nice. And for pudding, they would offer you, or, or after, for the, a sweet thing after the meal, you would have, uh, in America you have apple pie, which is your standard dessert, isn't it? Or is it? Or is it pumpkin pie here? But there they have what they call milk tart, which is a milk tart. It's like a custard tart, and they come in various uh, types, but they're all delicious. And another interesting thing is they would make strips, strips of dough and intertwine them like a plait. And they would dip them into syrup and, let them, and then cook them. So you would have these plaited uh, pieces of dough with the syrup in, and boy, are they nice as well. So that's the Afrikaans people. Uh, that's their traditional way of welcoming you and giving you hospitality. 
Uh, one of the historical peoples of the Cape come from Malaya and Malaysia, and they have the, brought their own cuisine as well. So if you went to the, the house of somebody who was descendant, descended from the, the Malays, they would give you something called smur snook. A snook is a type of fish. It's of the barracuda family. And I'm not a particular fan of it, but my wife loves it. It's got a very strong fishy taste. And they would uh, cook this on a fire with onions and tomatoes, and uh, evidently it's very nice. And then something else which is very interesting called omens under commerce. Literally translated, that means uh, elderly person under a blanket. What they do is they make meatballs and they cook them in cabbage leaves. I don't quite know where the under the blanket comes from, but I get the feeling that maybe that's the cabbage leaves. Also very delicious, and you would eat the, eat, you would eat the whole lot. And if you've been to uh, Indian restaurants, you might have come across something called a samosa or a samosa. It's a triangular um, pastry with spiced meat in it. And those are also one of the delicacies that uh, when, when, uh, when people have Ramadan and it's the end of Ramadan, people will bring that sort of thing into work and share it with everybody. Um, and those are very nice. And of course, the very, very various curries. Uh, they will do a lamb or beef curry served with rice. And one of my favorite dishes from the, the Malayan uh, cuisine is uh, called babuti. It's made of spicy mince uh, with carrots and corn, and that's served with rice. Now, my daughter is a physiotherapist, and she did what would be equivalent to national service. You do a year's service, and she went to a place called the West Coast, which is a little bit like hillbilly country, if I can say that. Uh, if you're looking for culture, the West Coast is not the place to go. And they do things differently. Uh, life is very slow, and uh, she, was a, she went to a small town, and she was the first physiotherapist that the government had ever sent there, so she set up a practice, but she learned how to have country ways. And they would do the braai place very differently. And we were entertained to that because it was about 320 miles from where we live. And so and my wife worked at a school at that stage, so during school holidays she could go and stay with my daughter for a week. And I went up there occasionally when I could. But these guys would start a fire and they would start to drink alcohol. And when the fire started to die down a bit, and it was ready for cooking, we thought, okay, right now we're going to eat. They would put more wood on. And when the fire started to die down again, you think, right now, now we're going to, going to do our, our braai. They put more wood on. And they would do this until the wood was finished. And then right at the end of the wood, and of course... Uh, they didn't stop drinking. And when, the wood, when this was the last piece of wood that went on, when they died down, 
they would cook their meat, and then when it was cooked, they'd go home. Uh, I know that after one, one or two of the, the dying downs, they let us cook our meat and eat it. But that's what they do. They, would, uh, they wouldn't eat at a barbecue. It sounds strange to me. Uh, but after all, they are West Coast hillbillies. <laughs> we live in South Africa in a very multicultural uh, society, as you've heard. And uh, unfortunately, in the past, we haven't celebrated our diversity. Uh, there have been other issues, but uh, which, which still continue. The pendulum has swung the other way now, and we, we still have issues. But a lot of people are celebrating the, the multi- multicultural nature of society. And from a church point of view, we have uh, looked at ways of hospitality. And the first uh, thing I'd like to bring to you um, is we have midweek Bible studies instead of Sunday school. So we don't meet on a Sunday apart from coming to the service. But a lot of people go to a midweek Bible study or a home fellowship, and you'd have a group of anything from 6 to 25 people who meet every week, and open the word and I, sometimes there would be a leader and other times the leadership would rotate and you would do a series where the books um, are uh, very well thought out and prepared uh, we've had books by Henry Blackaby and other people very very good uh, series and somebody would break the word but before uh, you would come along and do that and then have a time of prayer intercessionary prayer for the people in the group or somebody who is near to the group. And after that, uh, you would have coffee and cake and a time of fellowship. And the host would uh, show that sort of hospitality, and sometimes it might be rotated through homes. Another thing that sometimes happened was a very um, ad hoc thing. Uh, Somebody in the church after a service would say, you're all invited to our house for coffee. And they would look for people who maybe have come for the first time and invite them, come around, have coffee and cake after the service, and get to know visitors. We had also uh, the occasional thing that we called a fellowship lunch. If there was an occasion that warranted it, uh, the congregation would be asked to bring along uh, some food, uh, enough for their family, and maybe a little bit more, and they would invite everybody in the church to come and fellowship in the hall uh, afterwards for lunch. And these were great times because then you could catch up with friends and you could catch up with new people, uh, and I found them very, very enjoyable. The women of the church also used to have what they called women's forum once a month, in which they would advertise to the community and they would get people along by doing things that women enjoy, particularly like um, sewing stuff. Forgive me if I sound a little bit dismissive here, but I'm not trying to be. (laughs) Um, Flower arranging and various activities like that. And then they would have a guest speaker who would speak on something a little more um, challenging, uh, we all live in neighborhoods where there are divorced people and there are possibly uh, drug problems, and they would get the local police to come along and uh, give a, a lecture on how to know if 
a member of your family is on drugs or, um, you know, various topics like that. And that was a, a way that you could maybe get people who were going through a divorce who could come to the church in a non-threatening way and hear some counseling and experience church hospitality and maybe be one, be one for the Lord. And the other side of that coin is we would have men's breakfast as well. I'm sure you have all had men's breakfast where the men get together and have a guest speaker and you invite your friends and uh, they are challenged. And uh, we do that over breakfast. One of the things that struck me about uh, our church was that when we had, a, every time we moved, we had a child, so we stopped moving. And um, the first, when we moved into Pinelands where we live, uh, when we had our third child, uh, we found that there was a group that used to come along every night for a week and deliver a dinner because they felt that the new moms had enough to cope with and that husbands were completely useless. Uh, I have a point. And um, so for a week, you would get a meal delivered at supper time. And that was a great way of, of showing hospitality. And then, of course, as you became more and more involved in the church, you could well be asked to do that for someone else. Also, if somebody was very ill or if there'd been a death in the family um, and people had other things on their minds, uh, cooking food was maybe not a high priority. And I thought that was a wonderful way that they chose to show hospitality. But my final point today is something that maybe I'd like to challenge you on. And that is something that a church nearby us did. And we did it to a lesser extent. But South Africans are crazy about sports. Well, the men and some of the women as well. Um, and we, unfortunately, we do different sports from Americans. Uh, we are hoping that our rugby team will win the World Cup in England in six weeks' time. But after our defeat yesterday to Argentina, I don't think so. But we used to uh, get the, the big screen from somewhere, and on rugby mornings, when we were playing away games, we would have people come... Uh, away games against maybe Australia and New Zealand who are our major um, rivals, uh, the youth pastor would organize to get a big screen TV at the church and they would have some snacks and we would invite all the men uh, from, uh, you know, the young men that we knew to come and watch the rugby with us and maybe chat during half time or even afterwards. And that was a way of uh, doing a bit of outreach as well as enjoying fellowship and watching rugby together because there's nothing more miserable than watching sport on your own. But the, the Fisher Church had a brilliant idea. Uh, we had an international cricket match on a Sunday. And the, after the Sunday service, uh, the church set up a big screen uh, for the rest of the day and invited the community to come and watch cricket in the church. Now, you might throw up your hands in horror at that. But what they did was invited a former national cricketer who was a Christian to come along, and during the 45-minute interval between innings, because you only have one innings each in a, 
in a one-day cricket match. It's not like baseball where you have up to nine innings. One team bats, they score their, their number, and the other team has to beat it. So if they get, the, get those number of runs, they win, and if they don't, they lose. But you have a 45-minute period where they call it a supper break during the game. And during the supper break, this cricketer preached the gospel, and people were saved. And I thought that, you know, that might not be the uh, thinking in the box, that's thinking out of the box. But they reached people in the community just by having uh, an invitation to what people were, were interested in. And uh, if we uh, know that people are not interested in Christian things, but they're interested in something else, we may be able to influence them for the Lord by looking at that something else. So there you have a few ideas of uh, hospitality in Africa. I really thank you for this opportunity of sharing, and I hope that it's been in sync with what you've been learning. Thank you very much. Peter, thank you for sharing stories about the culture, stories about your people there in South Africa, and thank you for coming today. And Henry, thank you for uh, being the Ph.D. of, of uh, transportation for him today, and, and Dr. Bob Lamb as well. Uh, we are glad, again, that you were here today. We're going to have a time of invitation. The hymn that we'll be singing is, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go, even if that's to, where was it, Tanzania? <laughs> Tanzania, Okay. So we'll see who's singing this with heart and soul this morning. But um, let's stand and sing. If the Lord has spoken to you this morning or you would desire to talk with me or desire church membership, I would be happy to receive you and speak with you more about that. But let's stand and sing.
Boiling Springs Baptist Church, located at 307 South Main Street in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. Come and worship with us at your next opportunity. Thank you for listening.